In the summer of 2020, the BJP government issued three farming laws with the goal of facilitating and encouraging increasing private sector investment in Indian agriculture, notably in the downstream sectors of marketing, transportation and storage. The legislative approval process began on September 17th, 2020 and received assent 10 days later. Only a week earlier, on September 20th, Prime Minister Narendra Modi described the laws as a watershed event in Indian agricultural history, claiming that they will ensure a complete transformation of the agricultural sector and empower tens of millions of farmers. The main danger lay in that the laws would damage the public market or Mandi system, which provides farmers with guaranteed prices, also known as the minimum support price, from government agencies. This shields farmers from having to make distress sales at low rates to private grain trading intermediaries. It is true that the Mandi system is far from ideal and Punjab's farmers have been struggling for some time. The Green Revolution of the 1970s and 1980s promised farmers substantial growth. Whilst before a variety of crops were grown, the Punjab was directed towards only producing wheat and rice at largely subsidised rates. This resulted in a market explosion and an over-reliance on these industries. This resulted in difficult times for Punjab's farmers since mounting debts and falling yields assured that most farmers were already struggling, especially because wheat and rice cultivation account for the majority of Punjab's economy. This has contributed to an increase in farmer suicides across Punjab as well as over 65% of those under the age of 35 engaging in substance abuse. Furthermore, the abuse of pesticides and fertilizer in this industry has resulted in higher amounts of pollution and dangerous substances in Punjabi ecosystems. The COVID-19 pandemic has further exacerbated the situation, pushing millions into poverty. The current system is clearly not economically or environmentally viable. So just five days after Modi's praise of the laws on the 25th of September 2020, several farmers outfits announced an intensified agitation against the acts and called for a Bharat Bandh, which received support by as many as 10 central trade unions and 18 political parties. That isn't to say there wasn't some public support for the laws, including an open letter from over 800 academics, but the opposition only grew with their enactment. Protests had begun as early as July 2020, with farmers in Punjab and Haryana taking their tractors onto the road to protest, and the following week, farmers held protests in several places across Punjab, including Ludhiana, Morgha, Muksar, Fagwara, and Hoshiarpur. The protests spread the following month in August 2020, with the All India Kasan Sangaraj Coordination Committee participating in several protests. A few months later, in December, Kaushik Basu, former head economist of the World Bank, branded the new agricultural laws as flawed and detrimental to farmers. By the end of 2020, Punjab and four other states had passed a resolution against the farm reform seeking their withdrawal and solidarity marches being organised across the diaspora. And so it was the new legislation proposed in 2020 which would allow international corporations unfettered access to a broken market that pushed Punjab's farmers to the edge and brought the world's focus to one of the largest protests ever. After one year, four months and two days of protest and a televised address on 19th of November 2021, Narendra Modi, Prime Minister of India, announced that his government would repeal the laws in the upcoming parliamentary session on December 1st. So it's even clear from that brief summary that the enactment and subsequent passage of these rules sparked fierce opposition from agricultural groups, which began regionally in the key grain-producing state of Punjab before spreading to a national and finally global scale. The opposition stemmed from both the exclusionary form in which the laws were promulgated and passed, with the BJP government using the cover of the COVID lockdown to exclude input from farmers' movements and affected states, as well as the content of the laws themselves, which farmers' movements feared would effectively enable large corporate agribusiness interests to monopolise control over agricultural trade. Although the government has indefinitely delayed the farm laws, everything is still up in the air. Private entities such as those headed by Ambani and Dani are growing more powerful, farmer suicides continue, ecological collapse draws nearer, and protests continue seeking legal recognition of 
MSP for agricultural produce. On top of all of that, in recent weeks, protests have erupted due to the state government's inaction on raising sugarcane support prices and 57 different unions have united to shut down a polluting liquor factory in Mansurwal village. In other words, there's still a lot of work to be done. So I hope that makes some sense as to why one of the world's largest protests took place. And if you've been a follower of the channel for a while, you'll recall Hargadan discussing his Kassan project on the last podcast he was a guest on. And considering how many of us were following the demonstration on social media, organising solidarity marches across the diaspora or doing what we could to raise awareness, I thought it would be interesting to speak with Hargadan who had flown out and photographed the protest himself, documenting history in real time in a space of just 24 hours. Hargadan's efforts have resulted in this gorgeous 176 page hardcover photo book which has been available since June 2022 and has captivated social media and people's hearts by storm. So let's first start with finding out how this book came about. Yeah, so I think it was around uh, November last November 2021 is when I went end of end of the month. And I think a few months before my mom was like, let's go see family. And I thought, okay, this is the perfect time for me to take back the copies of Bind as well that I had just sitting there because I had set aside like 30 books for the Bind. So I was like, okay, finally, I can go back and give this project to the world, like back to the Bind. And even though it's sold out, so I was like, this is closure, like this is it, it's done. And in the back of my mind, I thought, okay, there's a chance that I might be able to go and see the protest site because it's it was it was approaching a year anniversary and also obviously like you said covid no one had been so it's very unusual that we were seeing this around from like around the world on social media and there was some photographers that were there that were posting as well so i think there was like a unique opportunity that not many people have gone that this hasn't been captured as well it was in the back of my mind that i could do something so when we landed we landed at 3 a.m and you drive past uh, Dikri border from Delhi airport to Punjab. And then when you see it, like, you're like, this is real. This is like, it's te- like it's nearly like 10 miles long. You're just driving, you're driving, driving, and it doesn't end. And then it, something just hits you like, okay, I need to come back. I need to at least come back and visit and see what I can do. So I felt like it kind of became real once I got there. There wasn't a plan to make a book. There wasn't a plan to do anything. But obviously, because I've made one, I knew what to do. I knew how to take the pictures. So I think after a week, we came back. I came back with my mum, Aji, and we stayed with our bin at Dikri. And we thought, okay, cool. Let's just stay the weekend and I'll take as many pictures as I can. And that was it. And And I'll decide when I got home. Many of us have read or seen videos of the protest site going on for almost 10 miles. So I have to ask, what was it like visiting and experiencing such an immense site firsthand? I think when you arrive at 3am, you are shattered. But there's something like, okay, you feel like, okay, this is our people. This is us. You feel very proud. Um, There's also a sense of, okay, these people are sleeping in the street. It's cold. It's winter time. And it makes you want to join them. There's like a lot of unity and the energy felt good. So I feel like it kind of is something that draws you in. And and you feel like, okay, let, how can I help this? What can I, what part can I play in this? And I think that's the feeling that I got when I saw the site. So we need to document, keep documenting this because if you delete everything on social media, you're just, you're just left with a few articles on some newspapers. So this is more of us capturing our own history and also from a different 
perspective as well. I think what stood out is how organized everyone was and patient. For, for I guess being there for one year, there was like a sense of we're not going. Like there's a lot of pride we're going to win. Um, people would go back, like they would come and stay for a week, go back. So people were like, it was it, it was like a thing that everyone was involved in in Punjab that was connected to and supporting. And that's kind of what you got. And there was like old women involved, old people, young people, like everyone together. And that was like a really beautiful thing that you see. Like it's like a different way to protest and come together. And I think sometimes people forget that the book is showing a protest, even though it doesn't look like what you think is a protest from a Western perspective. In the age of social media, why make a photo book? I think with a with a photo book, there is like a sense of story. You're also like editing the story. So I think as a photographer, you have the responsibility to be as honest as possible because I, I can go out trying to look for something to happen like maybe some sort of altercation or like just showing a certain group of people that were there but I think that's where you just have to capture and see it as it happens so you kind of just for me it's about just being involved and being involved allows you to see a, a broader and holistic story of what's going on so I think yeah the photo kind of lends itself towards that so I, I do see people flicking through the through the timeline and for like half a second and then they'll quickly flick through or and then it's very easy to lose it and go back and find it whereas a book I think I've learned from last time has it has a longer lifespan and multiple different experiences you can view it by yourself you can view it with like your friends you can view it with family different multiple generations so I think it's something that's you can just pick up and touch as well it makes it a bit more real also with the book you kind of dictate the narrative and with that narrative you're forced to see certain things that you may not choose to see as well how many photos did you take and how did you decide which ones to include so i obviously i, sh I shoot film so i took like loads of rolls out but in the end i think i only shot around 300 photos which is actually is actually not a lot these days um so you we just got there immediately i'm taking pictures i think there's one of the stages where they would do the you know talks and people would sing and whatever the speeches it just finished so everyone was coming out of that so there was like a hustle and bustle sun was setting light was nice and you just you're just involved I think it just felt like, okay, it felt really comfortable. Like, these are my people. Everyone's Punjabi. And you just kind of get involved. You just like taking, it's like taking pictures at a, a family function. It's basically like a one giant Glastonbury, but times 10 for our people. And that's what it felt like. And you're just taking pictures at like a festival. Once you've taken these photos, how long and what happens between then writing the introduction and getting the finished photo book to sell? So for me, I came back, dropped the rolls off at the lab. Then I get the pictures and I saw them. I'm like, okay, wow, this is cool. I have something here. The easiest way to do it, I think other people do it as well, is to just print all the photos. So you just find somewhere cheap to print them, like four by six um and then you just put them all on the floor and see if there's a story there um and because i knew last time that's kind of 
I, I got the pictures developed and scanned at a good resolution. Um, I knew what format to put in. I already took certain pictures of like landscapes that kind of help break up the story and give people a better idea of, of the space because I'm quite good at taking portraits and being close. So you just lay everything down and then you have the story. And I thought, okay, cool. There's a story here that some that we we can, I guess, share as a community. And then I had to just save the money. So technically, then you just send it off to your designer. She she put it together. We just made a few changes, decided on the cover. And then for me, you can literally do, you can print a book in like a month or two if you really, if you're really on it. I couldn't do that because I didn't have the money. So I just had to wait and save up to pay for it. I said, that's the only reason it maybe came out at the end of June. Well, you know, like obviously you and me and and a few other people we know they were really, like we kept up to date. We were really into it and informed about it. But a lot a lot of people in our community they're not aware of what was going on, and also it was an opportunity. You know, like some of the big things that happened that we saw on the internet. Like I found, I made sure I found the names, and then you write it down, and then it becomes history and it becomes factual. This happened. This guy came out of the water cannon. Sidhu released a song. And then you can like name people and then you're like, okay, wow, now I'm writing history as well as capturing it. So that was really nice. No, I'm not saying this because this is the third time you've appeared on the podcast, but just like your other work, this photo book is brilliant. So I have to ask, what has the reception been like since you've released it? I think, um, I think people are just proud that it's something like this exists. And, and, and from what you said, there are things online that we've taken screenshots or saved some pictures that we've seen online, but to have something in your hand of something that's happened, not even ended it less than a year ago is, is crazy. I think also people have been intrigued uh, into the way it's been captured. Like it feels really intimate and calm and it shows a side that maybe they didn't know what was going on. Like they were sat here for, a year and it just shows okay this is actually what happened every day people aren't fighting in the streets and stuff so i think it was nice but overall reception has been good i think in terms of if we talk about like how do you reach people i think since the last book came out the social media has changed obviously i use social media to get my projects out there but people have shifted to other channels overall it's been it's been really well received and yeah, it's got out into places where I didn't think it would get out to. Um, so I've done like an interview with uh, another magazine. I have another interview with someone called It's Nice That and Huck Magazine. Also done a talk. I'm doing, a t- yeah, I've done a few talks. It turns out that there were plans for some of Hadgarden's photographs of the Kassan protest to feature in The Guardian, but here's what he had to share about that. The only place where it should have gone, but it didn't go, was The Guardian. So the reason I was given was there's no names for the people I've captured, which I think was a bit bizarre, considering the context of which I took it in is, is a protest. Obviously, there's reasons for people not to have their names out there as well. Um, so I think there was maybe like a cultural disconnect, but they're seeing it from a perspective of, oh, they've probably posted pictures before and not having names is not um, is not like best practice. But I think each context has its own purpose. And here the people wanted their pictures taken, like to be shown to the world. But obviously if they're people from 
like that live in London that don't know about another culture and regardless of how educated they are these things can get lost in translation so you can kind of lose out so for me it was like oh my god there's an opportunity here for the whole world to see who we are the other thing that's kind of what was the upsetting bit but there's a reason why these things happen so you just got to take the positive from it and it kind of just showed me okay like working independently is why I do all these things so you have more control over this narrative whereas if they had paid me to go out to take pictures i don't know what that pro- or how that would look how how the story would look so this is why i guess it just reinforces keep doing to me what i'm doing because it, it is it makes sense and it connects with the people that it needs to now some of you watching may have seen these beautiful postcards that accompanied the photo book so i had to find out what went into getting these produced i guess cuz i'm um, i used to do art or have an art collective and like to do art it's a good way to to involve other creatives and and or create something together as a community and also offer that to the rest of the people because some of the people that are involved they like a really great artist on their own but i guess not everyone can afford a painting for a few hundred pounds or some of the people don't put out work as much it was a great way for them because they wanted to be involved and for other people to own something that's created by them because the way they all produce art is like beautiful so it was like a nice thing that like a bonus cuz people like to buy prints and like special packages and this was the special package like cuz there's only 100 and i think there's like maybe 10 left now and also 5 pounds of each sale i can then donate to to the to a charity as well so that's kind of the nice thing so there's like multiple layers to this so that i kind of thought okay yeah this worked last time and i was able to execute it better this time because the last time i done it after i launched this time i had everything ready and yeah and we used a broad range of artists from our community which was really nice where can people buy the postcards or the photo book so you can buy it on just my website so h-a-r-k number one k-a-r-a-n dot com and all my social media links to the website so yeah the fo- the postcards you can only buy from my website it's obvious to anyone who's been following the channel for some time that Hargadon has made a number of appearances each time bringing a new project. So for someone with such a creative appetite, I have to ask, what are you working on next? You always get the exclusive, so I might as well just... Um, <laughs> I am obviously still working on Zimmers or Southall. In terms of the project, I think it's... I feel like when, I, when the documentary came out, the picture photo series wasn't finished. So, you know, when you said, oh, what do you do when you look for a project? So I looked at the pictures. I'm like, this doesn't really tell you anything about Southall and Zimmers. So I was like, okay, let me just take my time. So you can shoot a book in one day, but then the other projects might take a few years. So you kind of get all extreme. So I think I need to, I've got a few more days of shooting that I've put in my calendar. And once that's ready, yeah, and it should be something different, something fresh and about us in Britain. And also a fact that I think there wasn't a sense of space. So when I saw it, I'm like, okay, you, these could be taken anywhere. There's nothing that says, okay, they're in Southall. Whereas with the video, you can see you're in Southall. With the pictures, you can't. So I think, okay, there's those elements missing. And, and you learn things as you're doing the project. Because obviously, I didn't know anything about Zimmers. And now I know quite a lot about Zimmers so it's just it's it's just that journey that you go on and yeah and obviously you become better as a photographer 
So it's like making your first album. So I've done technically two albums. Now you want to try something else. You might want to sample something else. You might want... So it's kind of the same with the creatives because you don't want to be doing the same. And also the people that are buying the work, they don't want to see the same thing. So yeah, I can tell you about one more project. So I went up to Smithic and... I captured like the allotments there for someone. And then I went back because I wasn't happy with the photos. And then they ended up being on the cover of a really cool magazine, a community magazine that came out in January or February, some March maybe. And I think I didn't expect the project to like, I didn't realize people loved the pictures so much. So I was like, wow, this is insane. No, I thought they were really cool. I I just, I, every, I just, I usually like what I, I share what I like, I guess. So I didn't expect maybe other people to, to I guess, really connect with it as much as I thought. So I was really like overwhelmed. I'm like, okay, wow, people really love these. And now I think it's kind of calmed down. People, I think it's going to come out as a small project, as like a, something that people can buy for like maybe £10, £10, £15. And there might only be 100 of them. And I'm working with hopefully someone from Birmingham. So it... It's a shot outside of London, which I wanted to do. It's shot in Smethwick, which is a community full of Apne. And and obviously that I can work with someone from Birmingham locally as well to produce this small thing that's kind of just happened. So I thought, yeah, it doesn't always, like you said, doesn't always have to be this expensive book, but it can be something smaller that people can take. And not every project can have its home. It'll be like a smaller, smaller book smaller like sort of zini type book yeah maybe like uh 30 pages or something and when could we expect to hear more about that or even see more about that i'm actually chatting to the guy today who's gonna make it so um and then yeah i'll be sharing that nice nice no i love it well i've got through all of the questions that i wanted to ask you and probably some extra ones is there anything that you wanted to include or want to mention before we obviously wrap up actually i got a question for you what's your favorite pictures in the book oh god there was one of the aunt there's one of an auntie who's got her back to us um in the photo hold on let me just get the book there's one of an auntie who Doing has her ball. Yeah, and she's got her back to us, and it's the one photo that stuck out because... I think it's the same photo that I like. Oh, that's... The the synchronicity of that is pretty jokes. I thought the fact that you captured so many photos of women really important, but then I also then was to think about, um, like, the... What is it? The gender... What is it? The gender, yeah, the gender balance. And, it, like, as in so... I guess what I'm trying to ask is, were there literally like that many women or did you make a point of capturing like the more photos of women, if that makes sense? I, I would I would actually, I think the, the on my bin that I stayed with, I think there might have been more women in the women's um, sleeping area. So there was, it, there was a low, yeah, it was 50-50, I'd say. No, fair. So the... the there's the photo of the auntie which I'm trying to find but there's the other photo of the guy holding uh, a Karl Marx pamphlet yeah that photo stuck out because I just thought it shows the uh, the diversity there's actually a further on uh, t- uh, someone has a communist tattoo on their on their hand 
on the flip side of their palm. So like the communist stuff is also part of, I guess, the protest and how people came together with the unions, as as well as obviously Sikki being a massive part of this. So I found the photos of the auntie. Um, in terms of why it stood out, I just think it's a very graceful photo, as in there's so much like as in there is so the fact that in still in her age she takes so much pride in her hair the fact that her hair is in such a good condition the fact that she could also just be anyone's grandma like she could be your grandma Mm -hmm. my grandma like she could be and in actually in a lot of cases like obviously with myself kind of having kids from a young age there's also like a personal connection it kind of reminds you of all of the times that you've had to do your kiss or whatever um and it crosses it crosses genders, right? As well, everything, like just, everything. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, that auntie could be, have been an old uncle, and it have a similar. I don't know if it would have the same impact, but it would have a very similar impact. Um, I think there's something about Bibi that she herself brings to the photo, and then obviously the the uh, kind of where her gara is in the shot adds kind of to the significance if you were to read into it like yeah isn't... and there's a few people in the book that are getting ready you know yeah, it's like yeah. about pride and who you are and that process i guess but it's a really simple like and i don't mean simple in a like in a derogatory means i mean it in terms of like it's a it's a pride in just being in their simplicity like bbg's just doing her hair like there's a guy who's cleaning. I think he's washing his bug. Um, like that, it to, to to most Western standards isn't like an extreme of getting ready. It's it's quite just um, normal, really. But there's so much pride in it in terms of its significance and what it means to us, um, which you've done a brilliant way of capturing. I would also just have to add because I think I've seen this photo so much is the front cover photo. And the and the Bibi's on the front cover. I think if I hadn't seen it so much, it, I would say it was this one. But because I've seen it like everywhere, um, I'd have to go with the with the photos of the Bibi doing her hair. Like that's definitely my number one. Yeah, I think a lot of people love that one. And obviously, there's the photos of the uncles doing their. Um, he's tied his bug to the end of the the um, tractor, and yeah. he's doing his bug there. That like. It probably comes next again because it's something that is massively relatable. Like, even if you don't wear a turban yourself, a lot of us would have grown up in households with family members who have. So you will, like, you will have some type of kind of memory of it. And that just shows kind of the universality of that protest, really, for us. Because that could be, like, your dad, my dad, anybody. Like, that could be you or me, really. You know, with the getting ready so i have like obviously growing up in south London, you have friends that are not punjabi or sikh or whatever and we all chill together and so when you have gone like to stay somewhere overnight and they then they, they just clock oh i've never seen my friend without his, his yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like is that how you do it and i'm like you know i never thought about that because i'd never really had to and that's when i thought oh okay people don't really see this private thing that happens apart unless you're like in our community yes definitely and i think the way within which you've brought that out as well is in like a re- it's like it's respectful 
I'm always kind of left it. So with all of these podcasts, I, at the end of it, I'm normally left either kind of quite inspired or like not brain drained, but you know, when you take in like so much information and it takes you a while to process it. And every time we talk, I'm always left inspired because I'm like, you're actually capturing things. You're capturing history in real time. And I think that perspective, like I've, I never quite saw it like that. Obviously doing a history degree, you're literally trained to look backwards and to see someone looking at the present in the way that you do, but then capturing it in a manner which is as sensitive to the subject as possible and respectful and then produce a high quality product. I'm just like the whole kind of chain from start to end is is quite as inspiring, especially for, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm a creative, but there is, I guess, some creative process in having to put together and podcast and then edit them and, and all the rest of it. But then to see kind of what you're doing gives me kind of inspiration to be like, all right, well, like if he can do that, then what about like, maybe I can do this. And I'm sure people listening to this are probably thinking the same thing. I think it, I'm, I'm glad like you can see that and appreciate that because that feels nice for me because you do, basically most of the time you spend thinking about how to do it oh tell me about it so for me going to Punjab like for some people going to take the pictures is the hard bit for me that's the easy bit it's more about how do I put this together oh and also you have to like this time it was more financial pressure you have to put your savings to do this but you care enough that you want to do it and also you take a like a what's the word a sensible approach where you feel like okay this this investment can be like make your money back like in a sensible way so you try to do things in a sensible way as well i think the other thing that i can appreciate is is doing like i so you're obviously creative in like in in your in photography and obviously with these podcasts it's slightly different but there's a similar process which you kind of have to put a structure together or think about kind of what you're going to do and how you're going to do it and quite often it's quite a lonely process because you're having to think of a lot of stuff and put a lot of kind of groundwork in before you even would have gone to Punjab or before like we even have done this recording or whatever and I don't think a lot of people appreciate that and it's quite easy when you're not in kind of creative process of your own to be like oh like kind of just to badmouth it or to or to kind of ignore it or just think like these things just happen all the time and they don't and I think that's one thing that I can appreciate, which is the work that people are doing, we can't take for granted. And we have to support those that are doing the work like yourself and others, um, and hopefully inspire more people to do whatever it is that they find interesting, but equally valuable to the rest of the community. I think at the start of your journey, you've now built this following. Now you can slow it down and just provide like more quality is what you're doing you've improved from when you started and like all of us we're doing the same now we can i think we can slow down slightly and get to the next level and everyone's coming with us to that because it's happening like you like there's a lot happening right <laughs> with our generation which is really exciting so you've made it to the end of another great podcast i hope you really enjoyed this let me know what you think of the new structure in the comments and don't forget to like comment and subscribe otherwise than that i will see you all next time